Father, help us now to put all distractions, anxieties, fears um, beside us, away from us, behind us, and concentrate now on your word. May you speak to us by your word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I think there are some slides. Fantastic. We'll get to that first one just in just a minute. Um, it's an amazing privilege for me to be here and to open God's word with you this morning. Thank you so much, Mark, for the invitation and for your welcome. It's just a wonderful joy. COVID-19 has opened up an extraordinary opportunity for me to preach right across the diocese. Uh, is there a slide before that of the picture of the map of the diocese? Yeah, thank you. Um, it's huge. It's a third of the size of New South Wales. And only about two or three parishes during lockdown were able to do anything online themselves. So I said about um, producing um, services, next slide, in two styles, uh, that one, in two styles, um, one a contemporary style um, service, uh, which was usually filmed uh, outdoors, and one a more traditional uh, service. And the reason that I wanted to do a contemporary service was to show some people who had never understood a contemporary service, or perhaps thought of contemporary meaning Hillsong, uh, I wanted to show them what an Anglican contemporary service might look like. And now people report to me that they've grown up with a traditional service all their lives, but they're actually preferring the contemporary or watching both each week. So how good um, is that? So it's just an amazing um, privilege for me to speak right across the diocese. Only half of our churches have resumed, so there's plenty of people who are still watching. And even if their churches have resumed, they still watch the services that I'm preparing anyway. I started by preaching two coronavirus um, series. One, uh, the corona crisis, and you'll see there some of the topics um, that I took up. And then the second one, next slide, um, just some of the um, apologetic questions like, why doesn't a good God stop um, a bad virus? And those um, sermons were really helpful, I think, and really well received and appreciated. Now I'm just sticking to the lectionary gospel readings, um, which this year is um, Matthew, but I've put them together in sort of um, a series um, probably to help me more than anybody else so that I'm seeing all the links and seeing how it all runs together. And the reason that I'm doing that is because some of the churches only ever preach the lectionary gospel reading and if I put out my sermon on a Wednesday afternoon, which I do, um, then I'm hoping that um, it might give some ideas to some um, of uh, the clergy and lay preachers who are preaching without hardly any experience or training but preaching in really remote outlying churches with uh, maybe six or seven people um, there. And so some of them have actually told me that they're just reading my sermons and preaching my sermons and otherwise they would be at a loss to know what to do. So what, again, an extraordinary blessing. So I'm going to be up front. I'm just going to preach one of those sermons this morning, uh, number four on the list. It's not about the food. The lectionary skips over the first part of Matthew 14, but I want to point out that what is skipped over there is the very reason at the start of Matthew, at the start of this passage, I'm sorry, um, wants to get some time alone with his disciples. Namely, the Herod, the Tetrarch, the local ruler, has made the astonishing suggestion that Jesus could be John the Baptist raised from the dead. He Earlier, he had had John the Baptist beheaded because he'd in the end, dared to point out that Herod shouldn't be sleeping with his brother's wife. Now, Herod, thinking that Jesus might be John the Baptist raised from the dead, may have either made Jesus concerned for his own safety 
or may have raised for him again the grief he felt at John's beheading. Either way, Jesus needed some time out. And so he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. And that brings me to the first of four contrasts we see here, which I think will help us unpack and apply this passage. So here's the first contrast, indifference versus compassion. The plan to withdraw didn't quite come off. Did you notice that? Look with me at verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, namely Herod's notion that Jesus is John the Baptist risen from the dead, he withdrew by boat to a private solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. Uh, Mark, in his gospel, specifically tells us that the crowds got there ahead of Jesus and his disciples. Uh, Does Jesus say, oh no, what, let's get out of here and turn the boat around? No, no, no. Verse 14, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. Jesus is often reported as having compassion, in contrast to his disciples who are sometimes indifferent and the religious leaders who are often offended when Jesus' compassion means he breaks their rules. I don't need to tell you that the word translated compassion refers to your bowels. I've often described this as Jesus' gut-wrenching compassion. You know, when you feel for somebody in a difficult situation and you might say, oh, I just felt sick to the stomach. That's how Jesus felt. Jesus is reported as having the same compassion in the very next chapter when he was with a great crowd of people again who had been with Jesus for three days and had nothing to eat. It's also reported in Matthew 20 when two blind men shouted for Jesus to have mercy on them. The crowd in that case are indifferent and yell for them to be quiet. But when Jesus asked the men what they wanted and they said, Lord, we want our sight, Jesus had compassion on them. Again, in Mark's Gospel, as he's telling the feeding narrative, he reports that Jesus' compassion was specifically related to the fact that the crowds were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. In Matthew 9, Jesus had been going through all the towns and villages, proclaiming the good news and healing. And when he saw the crowds then, Matthew reports that Jesus' compassion was related to the fact that these people were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And he tells his disciples to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field, which he said was plentiful. Can I ask you, how is your compassion? If we pray regularly to be made more like Jesus, we need to be growing in our compassion. Compassion, yes, for the sick like Jesus here. Compassion for the hungry like Jesus felt in the next chapter. Compassion for the blind like Jesus in Matthew 20. And that compassion should result in our generosity to help the sick and feed the hungry. But compassion too for the metaphorically sick, the hungry and blind, the thousands of people in your diocese and throughout central and western New South Wales who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, people who have no clue about Jesus and no idea about what life is about, people who are lost, some who recognise they are lost, some who don't. We who follow Jesus ought to be filled with a gut-wrenching compassion for the needy, 
and the spiritually needy who know nothing about Jesus or precious little. I actually think that during COVID-19, many more people are ready to talk about Jesus and eternal things. They're looking for something. They're looking for some hope, some perspective. And that which we have in Jesus, we can share with others at this time. We ought to be filled with compassion such that we take every opportunity to point people in the direction of Jesus where they can discover the same hope and peace that we are blessed to have. And we ought to be praying that the Lord will raise up more gospel workers for the harvest fields which are plentiful. And will you please include Bathurst Diocese in your prayers? I have six or seven parish vacancies right now and another five by the end of the year out of 32. Places which are remote and difficult and challenging and can't pay a full stipend but need full-time gospel workers. Indifference versus compassion. Which best describes your reaction to people in need today? Both physical and spiritual. Second contrast I want to point out is uh, go versus come. When I was recording this sermon, I kept on doing the directions with my hands the wrong way and I had to re-record the go versus come bit. A go versus come. We can't help noticing here that the disciples' solution to the problem of being late in the day and it being in a remote place and there being a huge crowd and there being no food is to simply go away. Have a look with me at verse 15. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go into villages and buy themselves some food. So here is the outworking of their indifference. It's not our problem. Send the crowds away. Problem solved. The disciples say, send them. Jesus in the end will say, seat them. Uh, You'll recall that this isn't, isn't the only time in the Gospels when the disciples say, go away, and Jesus says, no, come. In Matthew 15, the Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed. Jesus did not answer a word. His disciples come and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. I dealt with that passage two days ago. Do you recall the parents bringing children for Jesus to touch them? Matthew 19. The people brought little children to Jesus for him to touch, to place their hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Go away. And Jesus said, let the little children come. Go versus come. Go away versus come here. Of course, we're more subtle than that, aren't we? But we can communicate go away by our attitudes, by the looks on our faces. Many in the church said to those who had been abused, go away. And perhaps today to down and outs, to perhaps to indigenous people, to others who just don't look like they'd fit in for one reason or another, for whatever reason, we communicate all too clearly, go away. Go away, you young people. We only do a full sung Eucharist here. If you don't like it, go away. Go away, crowds. It's not our job to feed you and we don't have the resources. Send them away. And Jesus says, come. 
Come and sit down. I'll provide for you. I'll feed you. I have compassion on you. Go versus come. Which best describes your predisposition? Either clearly articulated or otherwise communicated by your attitudes. Here's the third. Scarcity versus abundance. To the disciples' call on Jesus to send the crowds away, Jesus responds, verse 16, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. He's challenging them. Where's your compassion? Do something. Well, they rustle around and do a quick inventory. They don't have a lot to offer, five loaves and two fish. But Jesus takes this impossible situation, feeding so many with unbelievably limited resources and then multiplies them for their their well-being and for the glory of God. And so we see the contrast between scarcity and abundance. They started with scarcity, but they finished with abundance. More leftovers, in fact, than what they started with. It's a beautiful picture for us of the very nature of God's grace, which is poured out in abundance on us to provide for everything that we need so that we might feed on Christ. Just as when Jesus turned water into wine in John 2, way more than was needed, an abundance of provision, an abundance of grace. This is a wonderful reminder that our God can take the limited resources such as we have in Bathurst Diocese and multiply them to provide for his people and for the work of the gospel and bring glory to himself. He can take empty bank accounts in the diocese or in the parishes and the willing generosity of a few to provide for ministry across central and western New South Wales. Yes, we are in dire straits as a diocese, if you know anything of the history. And many parishes, as I said, are struggling. They can't afford a full-time stipend. But our Lord can take what we offer him, five loaves, two fish, and multiply what we bring so that we have more than what we need. 5,000 men, maybe 15,000 total, did not just have a small bite to eat, but they ate and were satisfied and there were leftovers for lunch the next day. God specialises in provision beyond human resourcefulness and we can depend on him for everything. Bring to God what you can, as little or much as you have, all you have and all you are, and offer them to Jesus and see what he does with limited resources. It was John Wesley who reportedly said, give me 100 people who hate nothing but their sin but love Jesus with all their hearts and I will shake England for God. Finally, teacher versus shepherd. Because what we're confronted with here once more is Jesus' identity. Who is this man who multiplies food and feeds a crowd? The conclusion that many people come to still is that Jesus was just a good teacher of the first century. That option is not open to us here. We are being introduced to Jesus who has compassion on sheep without a shepherd because he is the shepherd of the sheep. And in this miracle we see being played played out that the the reality is that the Lord is our shepherd and there is nothing that we want. He makes us lie down in green pastures where we can feed and beside still waters where we can drink. 
This is the shepherd who would go on to provide for his sheep by laying down his life for them, to rescue them from sin and death. This is the one who is the bread of life, as spelled out clearly in John's version of this story. And to feed on him means to never go hungry. And to look to him and believe means we shall have eternal life. Do you know this, Jesus? Well, four contrasts in this passage today and four questions as I sum up. Indifference versus compassion. How is your compassion for the hungry? How is your compassion for today's sheep without a shepherd, with the thousands who we live among who are harassed and helpless, without Jesus and without hope? Go versus come. What is your default position to people of all kinds who we may meet at inconvenient moments? Is it go or is it come? Scarcity versus abundance. Do you see how Jesus takes the scarcest of resources and multiplies them so there is an abundance of provision? There is an abundance of grace for you at the cross. And will you bring your scarcity and ask him to multiply it abundantly in his service and for his glory? And teacher versus shepherd. For the reader is challenged in this miracle with Jesus' very identity. Jesus, the good shepherd, who will lay down his life for his sheep and bless us with an abundance of his grace. Amen.